I remember my third year in college when my flatmates and I invited our college president、um, to come and have dinner with us. He was always talking about how he wanted to get to know the students better, and so my friend just emailed him and invited him to come to our flat for a dinner. And to our surprise, he accepted our invitation. He and his wife, and they came to our flat. And I remember the conversation on that、uh, that that evening,、um, mostly because Mrs. Lipfin、um, talked about how arrogant、uh, Dr. Lipfin had been when he was in college. <laughs>、um, but it was really memorable, not because of the conversation, not because of the things that we ate and, and things, but because he came, because Dr. Lipfin was willing to come to our flat and have dinner with us. After all, he was President Lipfin,、uh, the person who we saw, you know, every every, every day in, in the front of the chapel. Um, one who was bigger than us and more important than us. The fact that he was willing to spend time with us was just very memorable. I remember when he came in and we asked him to take off his shoes because it was a bunch of Asians living together. And when he took off his shoes, I just felt very humbled.、Um, and when we、uh, gave out the plates, I, I, I felt how humble our plates and silverware and things were for him. But I couldn't believe that he wanted to get to know us. He wanted to spend time with us. That he wanted to be maybe like our friend,、um, sitting around the table and share a meal with us. And if you can look back at your life and think about the most important person that you had a meal with, and then imagine what it would then be like to have a meal with God Himself, wouldn't you be just humbled, knowing that He would want to eat with you? That he would want to sit around the table with you to get to know you and talk to you as a friend. Well, in chapter 18, that is what this story is about. God appears in verse one. Well, that's as he has in many chapters before. But in verse two, it takes a turn. Abraham looks up and sees three men standing nearby. And the reason why this is astonishing is because for the first time. In the history of the in the history since the fall, for the first time, God appears in human form, rather than being a voice in the sky or appearing through a messenger through angels. God appears in human form. Three men came. Whether these three men were some sort of manifestations of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or if it was some people think it's Jesus plus two angels. That's not really what the story is about. The story is about God appearing to Abraham's door、um, to, to to eat with him, and Abraham moves into action right away. He invites them in. He calls the visitors Lord and asks them、uh, if he could share a little water and food、uh, with them. But he spares no expenses. It's not just little water and little food for him. He orders three seahs of fine flowers,、uh, which is about 36 pounds, 16 kilograms of flowers. And then he goes to the herd, picks out the choice、uh, calf, and says, "Could you cook that for our guest?" And he brings milk、um, and curd for、uh, for them. Uh, just quickly, this isn't the main point, but is, here is an important lesson on hospitality. 
It would be quite shocking for us to invite a stranger in, into our house, wouldn't it? And we don't even really spend much time with our friends inviting them to come into our house. Hong Kongers seems to have inherited this English mentality of a man's home is his own castle. And the castle comes with moats around them and, you know, drawbridge and alligators living in there. It's, it, it's, a, it's his castle and uh, people, I mean, you can say that it's a, um, we're too busy and the space is too small. But hospitality is thoroughly biblical. It's, it's thoroughly part of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And inviting people into the house, however humble that house is, is part of uh, what it means to be a Christian. Abraham does it in this chapter. In a chapter later, uh, chapter later uh, in, in this chapter, Lot invites uh, the, the strangers into his house. Church leaders are required, required to be hospitable, according to First Timothy, Timothy three two, and also Titus. And the Hebrews writer in thirteen two, Hebrews thirteen two, um, it reminds us that uh, some people, by inviting strangers in, entertained angels. And some Christians see our passage, once again, as the pre-incarnate Christ and two other people with, uh, with Christ. I don't think, once again, this cl- passage is all that clear, whether that is true or not. But it is clear that Jesus equates himself with the least of these. Remember, in Matthew, what he says, Matthew 26:40, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. As we invite people in, people who are needy, into our houses, we're serving Christ. But more than a lesson on hospitality, I think um, I like to think about what it means for God also just to have appeared in Abraham's home. Well, God transcends our reality. God is bigger than we can imagine. God who has created all the things that we have seen and unseen. This God initiates this encounter. God appears in the front door of Abraham in an unprecedented act of divine condescension. God appears in human forms, apparently, so he could eat with us, eat with Abraham. He could have a relationship with Abraham. And when Abraham invited uh, the three men in, God does not refuse. He entered the house, washed his feet, and ate, um, spent time with Abraham. He had a meal with Abraham as a friend. And that such meal happened throughout the Bible as well. The covenants were usually arranged after the covenant was a meal, fellowship meal right after. For example, at Mount Sinai, the people at the covenant ate and drank in the peace offering, Exodus 24. Gideon, after the, uh, Gideon prepares a meal for uh, God and puts it outside and God comes and consumes the meal. In Judges 6, Jesus uh, goes and eats with people. He enters Zacchaeus' house. Do you remember what he says? As he enters Zacchaeus' house. In Luke 19, um, today salvation has come to this house. In that fellowship, he declares the salvation of Zacchaeus. And most famously, Revelation 3.20, uh, you, you know the verse. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. God appears again and again and again to our lives to have fellowship with us. And last time, 
that God appeared in human form in Jesus, the last meal that he had, invited his, his disciples to eat his body and drink his blood. Sign of that ultimate intimacy with God, that we be in him and he in us. God appears because God wants to have a relationship with us. And if you don't think that this is special, that's because you don't know who God is. Because we don't fully realize who God is. This isn't President Litvin. This isn't Obama or Hu Jintao or um, C.Y. Long, who just was elected. This isn't them. This is Almighty God. So, there might be one or two of you um, uh, here today, um, who are not Christians, maybe you're thinking about becoming a Christian. If you hear Jesus, Jesus knocking at the doors of your heart, invite him in. Please tell him that you want to have this relationship with him, that you would like that friendship with him. That is the ultimate decision that you can make and an ultimate uh, privilege that we, we, we can have. And if you are a Christian, know that God doesn't want you to be, God God doesn't doesn't want just to be your God and Lord who is distant from you. He wants to have a fellowship with you. God appears again and again in different ways in our lives, longing to sit down and eat with us, longing to enjoy um, that fellowship with us, to reveal His will and call us His friend. And through Jesus, that we may be in Him, and He may be in us. As God is with us and wanting to have this fellowship with us, so many of us just go on, living our lives as if God is this distant being. We don't invite Him into our work. We don't invite Him into our family life and all the things that we do. Invite Him in and have Him be your friend, because God wants that relationship with you. So that's the first point, hospitality and fellowship, um, a fellowship that we can have with him. But it's often as we enjoy this close fellowship with God, God speaks to us. Or maybe God's speaking to us all the time. But in that intimate fellowship, we hear his voice. That's the second point. When God was eating with Abraham, God speaks to him about that promise yet again. He asks in verse 9 where Sarah is. And the name is significant as well. The fact that uh, God calls him, uh, calls Sarah, Sarah. Uh, in the previous chapter, we find that Abraham, um, Abram and Sarai's names are changed to Abraham and Sarah. Um, so God calls Sarah by the covenant name, uh, recalling the promise that he made to her once again. Sarah, where is Sarah? And you know the story um, here. Uh, Sarah laughs to herself because they're very old. In verse 11, we're told that she's past uh, the, the age of childbearing. Not only is she, was she barren all her life, she's past the menopause. And if you don't know what that is, ask your mom. Her womb is dead. In that way, she's doubly dead. She's barren, and she's uh, past. Uh, she she can't have child anymore. The thought seems not just impossible, but also ridiculous. So she laughs, and God then immediately questions Abraham. Why did Sarah laugh? And she lies, but she can't fool God. 
God says she did laugh. But this is the big but that starts chapter 21. The next time we hear from Sarah, chapter 21, verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and he said the Lord um, did for Sarah what he had promised. Despite the fact that Sarah laughed at God, almost mocks God here, the Lord did uh, as he had promised. God gave Abraham a son through Sarah when Abraham was a hundred years old and Sarah probably around 90. They named their son Isaac. Also because they laughed, but also because they bring, Isaac brought laughter to the house. God fills that household with laughter. As Sarah says in verse 6, 21, 6, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about, about this will laugh with me. God is a faithful God who fulfills his promises. Perhaps not in our own timing, not in the way that thing we think it should go, but God always fulfills his promises. And the Bible is, a, is full of promises, isn't it? For example, when God promises that all things will work for, the, uh, for, for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his good purpose in Romans 8.28, that's a promise that you can hold on to. Whether you think whatever you're going through right now is good for you or not, that is a promise that God keeps. It will work out for the good for all of you. When Jesus promises us to rejoice, he commands us to rejoice and be glad uh, because the great is our reward in heaven for the persecution we suffer for him in Matthew. We need to trust him that that is the case despite the persecution, despite being ostracized at work or turned down for a promotion, perhaps because you uh, did your job with integrity or because you're too Christian in your job. We need to trust in that promise and hold on to it because God fulfills that promise. And when and if our parents, friends, children fall to the trap of death or are struggling with illness and God promises that the dead will rise again and we will receive this new body that is untainted by uh, any sickness, uh, uh, any effects of death because Uh, We need to trust in that promise because God has fulfilled promises again and again. And we see that clearly in Abraham's story. God's time scale seems very different than ours. And God's divine plan was ridiculous to Abraham and Sarah. They both laughed. My grandmother died around the age of 80. I mean, it would be just ridiculous to think of her having a baby. But that was God's time plan. And God fulfills his promises. So trust in God. Because you don't know what's best for you or for anyone else. Because you don't know what will happen tomorrow. But you'll be assured that all the promises in the Bible will be fulfilled. God fulfills his promises. But the third point is that even when God fulfills his promises, God reminds us that our lives aren't about us, but it's about God. 
If you ask God, why did God, why did you wait so long to, uh, to fulfill the promise made to Abraham? Until it was just impossible for them. Well, God gives us a clue um, in chapter 18, verse 14. And that great line, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything beyond his power? Is anything too, uh, is anything too marvelous, too wonderful uh, for his power? God waited specifically to make it impossible for Abraham and Sarah to bear a child apart from a divine miracle. He waited to show that even if it was impossible for them, that nothing was impossible for God. God wanted to be glorified in that incredible act. God wanted to reveal to them and to the world who he is. This whole story is really about God. God revealing his incredible power, God fulfilling the promise that he had made to Abraham. God called Abraham out of war because he had a plan for Abraham. And also, God made promise to Abraham, um, not for his sake, but for the world's sake, because the, the fulfilling of the promise means salvation for all of us, that he'll be a blessing for all nations. If we make the story about us, and how God will do impossible things for us, we're missing the point. It was never about God meeting the deepest needs of Abraham. Although God does that. It was about God's promise made to Abraham and God's faithfulness to that promise. It was about God's plan and not Abraham's. And you've heard uh, the difference between dogs and cats, I'm sure. Um, Dogs say to their owner, you feed me, love me, bless me, and shelter me, so you must be my master. Cats, on the other hand, say, you feed me and shelter me, bless me, and and, and love me, so you must be my servant. Dogs think that they have a master. The cats think that they have a staff for them. But we're often like the cat, aren't we? Most people have God as their staff because God is so gracious to us. We demand from God that we go to a specific university that we want to go to, marry people that we want to marry, have jobs that we want to have, have kind of children that we want to have. We try our best to even die at the time that we want to die. We treat God as our staff, not as our Lord. And we many times want God to do the impossible thing for us because he can, but also because we want that impossible thing to fit into our lives because we want that in our life for us. But God is not our servant. He is our master. Our lives aren't ours, but it is his. And Abraham and Sarah's life show us that. God does the impossible thing so that he will be glorified. All that happens in Abraham's life and then all that happens after it, as we, hear, we see in the Bible, Abraham's children will be enslaved. 
and then they'll go live in Egypt for hundreds of years, and then God will bring them out again. The times of judges will come. The time of kings, David um, and Solomon will come. But then time of exile comes, and coming of John the Baptist, and later on coming of Jesus Christ, his life and death and the resurrection, and the future coming, the second coming again. The whole biblical story, the whole story of the Bible is his story. It is his world. God is running this world and we are a part of that story. And we need to see that we fit into God's plan. For he is our Lord because he rules history in the universe. Because our lives are about him. And we need to ask ourselves again and again, in in all our situations, how can I glorify you, God? What can I do for you, God? How can I fit into your plan, God? And if you think this is selfish for God to demand of us, well, it's, you think God created everything, God created us, to ask that question is silly. But, but even if you did ask, ask that question, the amazing thing is that God for whom the whole universe exists, God for whom everything in the world exists, seeks to be glorified um, in, in, in having a relationship with us, in, in serving us, in dying for us, in being lifted high on the cross for us, so that we can have that intimate fellowship with him. That whole story that I, I said, from the very beginning, the creation, the fall, and the promise, and all of that uh, that happens in the Bible, is a story of redemption of us. It's God's story, but it's God's story of redemption of all of us. It's all about God's rescue of us. It's all about how God loves us and has, has given himself for us. God does the impossible thing to Sarah by giving her a child. But if you think that was impossible, too marvelous, too wonderful, there's nothing, that that is nothing that compares to what God has done in history, in moving kings, in moving people's lives, in coming down as, as a human being to living and dying and rising again so that we could call him his friend, so we could be invited to that heavenly banquet. It was impossible for us to rescue ourselves. And many still laugh at the thought that we are rescued by God. Many laugh at the thought that the whole world will be redeemed. But that's the promise And as God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Um, There's a new song by uh, Matt Redman called You Alone Can Rescue. It asks the question, the very beginning of that song is, Who, O Lord, can save themselves? Their own souls could heal. Who alone can save themselves? Their own souls could heal. And he ends uh, that song with these lines. You alone can rescue You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us. Let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. For doing all of that for us. To you alone 
belongs the highest praise. And uh, um, our, uh, the people who will be baptized today, and for all of us as we renew our baptismal covenant, let's remind ourselves that our lives are not about us. It's no longer ours, but it is God's, that to him belongs the highest praise and all the praise. Amen.